karma. One of the most intensely misunderstood concepts in all spirituality. Jumbo fellow adventurer, it's Mike Dooley here to remind you of how powerful you are and how much you deserve by sharing last week's spiritual tune-ups. These are live broadcasts Monday through Friday, each lasting 5 to 15 minutes, where I answer viewers' questions, bringing lofty metaphysical concepts down to earth for your immediate traction. You were born to succeed. You are pushed on to greatness every single day. Your positive thoughts are at least 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Thoughts become things. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, time for a spiritual tune-up. Today's question is, oh, kind of a heartbreaker. Um, we've all been through it. Um, it may lie ahead. Uh, if you know the terrain and you know what's going on, it's a lot easier to manage. Mike, how to let go when I can't imagine life without them? Um, the person I chose did not choose me. I know I need to let go and I'm meditating and trying to trust and believe the universe will provide me better, but still I hold on. Oh my gosh, uh, I have been there. I really think everyone has been there. And that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean it gets easier. But I do have a couple of things to think about. Clearly, to begin with, you gotta drill down to the truth. I remember I would journal when I had my heart so shattered that I lost weight for four weeks in a row and I was skinny to begin with. I was nauseous all of the time. It was really, really such a difficult time in my life, one of the most difficult times of my life. Um, but I would journal, why do I feel so bad when I know that I am of God, by God, pure God? How can I have let somebody else's judgment of my worthiness replace my own because that's exactly what you've done we find somebody who we put on a pedestal and we think they're all that and and we're lit up because that amazing person sees us as amazing and when they pull that back uh, we feel like we have been uh, called out and recognized for the truth of who we really are not that much you have allowed somebody else's opinion of yourself to blind you of your own ability to see your awesome, beautiful, incredibly unique nature. This is what you've done. Starting point, get real. And then start angling, maybe through journaling, maybe through meditating like you're doing. How could I have lost my way when I know this? I'm awesome. I'm creative. I'm beautiful. I have a great sense of humor. Just give yourself that ammunition. You deserve it. We should all be talking about ourselves like this all the time. You know, look in the mirror, smile, really big, bright smile. Say, I love you. You're amazing. I love that twinkle in your eye. I love that glint in your smile. I, I love your savoir-faire. I love the way you figure out problems. I love the way you love people. I love the way you... Everything. Non-stop celebration of 
the God within you, the goddess within you. This is true. I've got more. I've got a lot more to give you. Um, However trite this may sound, you know, we are handicapped, if you will, here in the jungles of time and space, not necessarily able to readily see the truth. Um, And we get along certain ruts, we go in certain ruts, we have certain trappings, we think along certain lines that don't serve us, but this becomes embedded because it's painless until somebody leaves and then we realize we gave away our power. I mean, it's one thing to feel awesome about yourself because so many people love you, okay? But this is not a great reason to feel awesome about yourself. You need to feel awesome about yourself because you are awesome. And so if the people come and go, you're still awesome. But you wouldn't know you had a chink in your armor if the scenery and the circumstances and the approval of other people didn't come and go wax and wane. So it's this great gift. You wouldn't want to be naive forever and ever and be so happy because other people love you and not realize that you have given your power away. So this is a great blessing, believe it or not. The day will come when you uh, so appreciate that you were able to dig down and see how awesome you are. But what I'm getting at here is time. It took a long time for you to kind of build up the fortress that you've hidden behind. And you didn't know you even needed it. Now you know that you created a fortress when you were awesome all along and you're not vulnerable. It's going to take a little time to change horses, to insert and plant new beliefs. Be patient and be loving with yourself. This is the least you deserve. I will tell you, when I went through such a dark chapter in my life, For four weeks, I lost weight. And for 12 months, I had that unending argument in my mind, justification in my mind. How dare you? How could you in my mind? It was a year before I got over it. But it was much more difficult in the beginning to the degree that I would literally wonder, literally wonder if I would ever be happy again, truly happy. I was so devastated for probably onwards of two months. And then after I got out of the devastation, it just hurt like hell and I was angry. It's okay. This is normal. The sooner you see your folly, the sooner you see the mistakes you've made, the sooner you will emerge from it. And then ultimately, within a couple of years, and I've still got more points to give you, I got to the place, I would say within three years, maybe two years, I got to the place and it held fast. Like, hallelujah, I didn't go down that path. Oh my God, I would have been a miserable person forever and ever if this relationship hadn't ended. The relationship that ended that made me so sick in my heart and in my stomach. Within time, it was like the biggest thing I ever escaped from in my life. And you will say the same thing. You will give thanks that you didn't go further down that path. Now, your relationship with that person is different than my relationship with that person. You can always keep out the possibilities. Maybe that person is going to come around and learn the error of their ways. But you don't need that. And if they don't, it's just as well. Somebody better is going to come along who doesn't need to, to be helped to see your awesomeness. So number one, give it time. Number two, while you'll leave the door open, create space from that person. 
Just create the space. Do not go there. Do not entertain them. Do not take their phone calls. You can do that with love. You don't have to be, um, well, I'm always going to love you, so I'm always here and give me a call. It's like, look, unless you've had a change of heart and you want to start over again, do not call me. Okay? You have to have that space in order to heal and see what you're not now seeing. To begin loving yourself without someone else's approval, which is the ultimate lesson here that you and all of us eventually need to learn. Number one, diversify your life. This will be so much harder in the beginning than a little bit later on. But you know, I said it took a year and then two or three before I was really crazy happy again. It's worth a year or two or three if in the end you're going to be crazy happy. And that doesn't mean you're going to have a year or two or three of misery. The first month or two was sheer misery for me. But then immediately it started getting better. Immediately I was getting distracted. I would still have the arguments, but it got better. I was happy. Maybe I dated. It was so long ago, 20 years ago. I hardly remember. I hardly care. I'm in such a blissful place and have been for almost all of the past 20 years, except for that little speed bump that, that enabled me to get my groove back on. But diversify your life. You are so much more than any relationship, than with any person. You are the person to love right now. But it's not just about love yourself. That's a, that's a tall task. That's going to come naturally. Diversify. Focus on your career. Focus on your fur babies. Focus on your health. Focus on fitness. Focus on hobbies. Focus on self-improvement, like you're asking this question. Diversify your life so it's not all about, if they don't love me, who will love me? I need to be in a relationship. The clock is running. It's like, I. Even when you're in the most amazing relationship of the world, you still have your whole entire life to deal with. You still have to figure out your career, your health, your fitness, your goals, your satisfaction, your creativity. Work on all those things now. Do not be so silly to think that, well, once I have my, my love interest, everything else will take care of itself. Nothing else will take care of itself. Nothing. And you'll become codependent and it's going to go down. Not good. You're, you're going down. Unless you have a life. So build that life now and you're going to dig it. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. And it's not going to be dependent on someone else. And if you have a great relationship right now and you're not building a life, then go build a life right now, okay? Because then you're going to put legs under that table and then you're going to have so much more to bring to that relationship. As I found in my life, I got focused in all these other areas, hobbies, passions, career, work, became a speaker, became a writer, and I was able to not only love myself more, enjoy my life more, but I brought so much more to the relationship. So diversify. Do things you enjoy to the degree you can find them. And I know if you're wondering how you'll ever be happy again, it's like you're going to have to fake it because nothing's going to bring you joy in the very beginning. But your nature is indomitable. You are this constantly blooming ray of sunshine. That's who you really are. There are infinite possibilities for your love and joy and fulfillment before you. Don't let somebody else's poor judgment diminish your ability 
to love this awesome world, this beautiful adventure, and the infinite possibilities that are now before you for the absolute best of your life. You will celebrate what you're going through right now one day. Whether the person comes back or somebody else or you just have an amazingly diverse rocking life, you will celebrate the crossroads you're going through right now. That you asked the hard questions, that you bit the bullet, you went within, and you became so much more than you were prior to the walls crumbling around you. Jumbo fellow adventurer, it's Mike Dooley here with a spiritual tune-up bringing some otherwise perhaps confusing, disempowering metaphysical concepts down to earth to give you clarity, to gain traction, to live as you were meant to live through the roof in joy and love. Today's question is always a fun topic. I've touched on it many times before. It's been a year since I gave it a deep dive. Karma, the gist of the question. Mike, do I suffer because of karma? I've been reading a lot about karmic debt. I am not a negative person or ungrateful person in any way, but sometimes no matter how hard I try, life feels like I'm treading water in a heavy lead-filled sea. Oh my gosh. And then there are five great questions posed by the same individual. They're all yes or no's. I'm going to get to those after I give you my little dissertation on what karma is. One of the most intensely misunderstood concepts in all spirituality. And how do I know what I'm about to share with you? The same way I know the other things I share with you. Invariably, going within, connecting dots, deductive reasoning. The reasoning mind can figure out so much. When you understand we're of God, by God, pure God. When you understand your thoughts become things. When you understand that you literally can move mountains, that you can make your dreams come true through your focus, you understand that you are not limited by the past, not your behavior, not other people's behavior. And because the idea of karma is something we seem to see evidence of in all of our lives all the time, it's taken on a life of its own and to many schools of thought including highly respected schools of thought from the East, it is considered a law, a law to the degree that it is absolute. It is not absolute. It is not even a law. It is a phenomenon. Sure enough, what goes around comes around most of the time. Sure enough, what you think about, you bring about most of the time. But we have a lot of other thoughts. We have a lot of other beliefs, expectations, empowering, limiting and the more we understand, the higher we go on the wheel. More on that in just a second. But what's so pivotal here is understanding that it is not an absolute law. Interpreted by many to mean, uh, for every violation I commit, I must be violated. For every good deed I do, it must immediately come back to me. For every single action, there is an equal and opposite reaction in the circumstances of our lives. Not remotely, never was true. It would violate your freedom. It would violate your free will. You could never say, believe and ye shall receive without a caveat, unless there's karma. You could never say, thoughts become things, 
without the caveat of unless there's karma, if karma was an absolute tit-for-tat law. This is what's going on. What you think about, you bring about. That's the only karma that exists. Once you you think you live in a dog-eat-dog world, hypothetically, uh, you know, you better be the crook or someone's going to crook you. You better get what you can before somebody takes yours. That kind of thinking, believing that you live in an unfair, evil-minded world will bring about circumstances that give you proof that you live in an evil-minded world. You could have thought otherwise. I live in a giving, loving, generous world where friends are around every corner. That will give you that experience. Change your thinking. And no matter what the score is, your experience changes. So we see it all the time. What goes around comes around. But it's not an absolute law. It is a phenomenon. You can get off the wheel by realizing, hey, I don't live in a dog-eat-dog world. My experience isn't the same as everybody else's experience. I see some people with a smile, a genuine, authentic smile on their face every day. I see some people that are lucky every day. They don't work harder. They're not smarter. But they're just making life work because of their attitude, because of what they dwell on, because of what they think about. Whatever you don't like in your life, change your thinking and your experience changes, which is really great news because it doesn't matter if you were a pirate in the 12th century, you don't have to pay back those dues. You're off the hook. As soon as you realize love is the way and you don't have to be a thief, then all of a sudden a totally different experience unfolds no matter what the score was. There's no scorekeeping. Scorekeeping would limit us in ways unimaginable. Nobody would be living a free life. There would be destiny galore. We would be bumping into walls and doors and the props of ghosts from other incarnations or earlier in this life when we were stupid, spiritually stupid. That's a really hard path to follow because you're going to be hurting people and they're going to be hurting you and you're going to be walking around with blinders on. Go to the light. See love everywhere. Know that you're a God particle and you will be lifted free from whatever it was that had happened to you before. So now let me go to the five questions that are really short and easy posed by this questioner. Mike, is karmic debt something we all get handed out each lifetime to work through? No, zero, nothing like that. Do we carry, if we move from one one lifetime where we thought, People are jerks and God is angry. If we move from one lifetime into another, carrying over those perspectives, which is how it works until we learn better. That's why we keep coming back because we want to learn better so that we can be free, so there can be more love. If we bring that from another lifetime to this lifetime, not because it was handed out to us, not because we even chose it, But because we were living in ignorance, we will bring that baggage over from another lifetime. Not as dues, not as something we have to. We can be off that wheel instantly as I just shared. Number two, do these problems and issues first have to be solved successfully in order for the burden to be lifted? The only burden is living in ignorance. And yes, you need to remove yourself from, let's call it naivety. 
so that you don't bump into walls anymore. You need to work through the naivety. You do not need to pay back karmic debt. No such thing. Number three, is karmic debt what the Bible refers to as the sins of the father? By the way, I'm not religious, just spiritual. That's what the person said. My easy, simple take on the sins of the father, fathers, uh, is not something that uh, is rooted in the Bible. I haven't ever read the Bible. I've read a lot of the beautiful passages from it and some of the ignorant passages from it. So I do not know the context of the sins of the father. But because I believe that the Bible originated in truth with the view to understand that which our physical senses cannot grasp, speaking to the origins and the glory of life, and knowing that the original sin through deduction is a metaphor for us, our fall from grace, biting the forbidden fruit, signifying that we react to the world around us thinking it is greater than we are, completely forgetting, this is the sin, this is the original sin, completely forgetting that we are creating the world as we perceive it. We create that apple as we perceive it. You don't need to bite into it, although you can, and it's delicious. But in the metaphorical story of Adam and Eve, the apple was bitten into, this signified that Adam and Eve suddenly saw the apple as independent of themselves. They forgot that it was their own thought form. And so they bit into it. They reacted to the world and they fell metaphorically head over heels um, out of the Garden even out of the Garden of Eden from grace. That's kind of a very sad way of looking at it. That, that whole characterization is, is very unfortunate and not accurate at all. We chose to immerse ourselves in the illusions. We knew that we would get so bamboozled, we'd forget that we were creating them and thereby be moved forward by our dreams and our fears into journeys of love and being loved. That's the nature of the game here. And yes, we can strip away this ignorance at any point and still enjoy the illusions. It's not about transcending them to the point that they don't exist anymore. They're awesome. Just don't lose perspective on Who is the creator of it all? They're all here because of you and us, okay? We are those God particles that created this bastion of perfection in the cosmos. So the sins of the fathers, the sins of the fathers were our ancestors who were the first ones to forget that they were the creators of their reality. And so they started reacting to their reality, which only made their reality more distant and separate from them. And then we come along the children of our fathers, believing the same garbage. But we all have the ability to transcend the ignorance on the fly, and we are not beholden to the sins of our fathers, even if the sins of our fathers meant something else, like they were a bunch of jerks and they did man mean things uh, to innocent people. We still wouldn't be limited because of their spiritual stupidity. So don't worry about sins of the fathers. It's just speaking to us being lost in the Garden of Eden temporarily. Number four, do we knowingly choose our package, our karmic package, I presume, or is it something that merely gets doled out like a bag of curveballs to complicate our lives? Uh, No, we do not choose our package, but we choose to deny the truth that is everywhere, that this is a world of love and order and that we create our realities on the fly every single day. Stop choosing that ignorance 
and you're off the hook, you're off the wheel into happily ever after. But I might say this idea of kind of choosing it, we did choose the jungles of time and space at an ignorant, naive time. See it as an adventure. See it as a game. Don't see it as a curse. You are not trapped here. You can begin living in a totally different way in this lifetime now, and it can be so much more fun than when we viewed life as a series of tests or karmic debts. And number five, how can I lessen this load so I can move on and thrive? That's the greatest question of all. Well, now that you know it's not karma, and now that you know it's always about inner confusion and misunderstandings of the nature of reality, now you can realize the balls in your court. Now you can realize you're in total control. Now you can start leaning into the truth that you're here to thrive, loved and in love, pushed on to greatness every day with positive thoughts 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts. This is how you can lessen it. And that's how I can lessen my burdens. And it's how everyone listening and watching right now can lessen their burdens. See the adventure before you. Know that you're here to thrive. That nothing you're now dealing with is greater than you. You are its creator. And thereby, you are the greater of that which you now face. So this is so cool, isn't it? We get to live forever and we get to be in power and we get to decide all things. And whenever we stub our toes, we are the reason and it's not some boogeyman. We can solve that problem and get it on. Thoughts become things, fellow adventurers. Mike Dooley, time to do a spiritual tune-up where I answer your questions. The great question I have today, which is about 340 now, spiritual tune-ups that I've done. Check out the archives. The great one I have today is, Mike, help, what am I good at? How can I figure out what I can be good at? Even when I have no idea. Oh, I have been in your shoes so many times. We so often, using our physical senses alone in this primitive time on earth, mess with not only the cursed hows. How is my dream of abundance, love, and romance going to come to pass? Don't worry about the hows. Divine intelligence knows how. You need to focus on your end result. But as much as we mess with the hows, we mess with the shoulds. What should I do? Should I go here? Should I go there? What would society like? What would mom like? What would my kids be proud of? The more you worry about what you should do, the more desensitized you become to what you want to do. Invariably, because you're of the divine, by the divine, for the divine, you can trust yourself. What do you want to do? Do not think that you're going to emerge as some wild crazed beast putting your needs in front of everybody else's making progress at their expense too many people fear human nature look around at the world we got seven eight billion people here cooperating 99.99999 percent of the time how many raging world wars are there right now zero a lot of ugliness a lot of animosity but by and large we get along more than we don't get along. And the evidence is everywhere. International symposiums, cooperation, flights. Uh, 
It's amazing. We're amazing. You're amazing. Trust yourself. Follow your heart. Do what you want to do. Now, I'm going to be a little bit more pointed right now, a little bit more constructive after that warm-up. Okay, so I know many people are in this place. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my special niche? What am I good at? How do I get there? So this is what I'm going to speak to next. All right. Once you are under sale and you tune in, practice day at a time, tuning into your intuitions, you're going to become more and more aligned and more and more aware of what your heart is telling you. But you got to be in the game. You got to be doing something. It's far better to have a sucky job you hate than to be at home sitting on the couch with a vision board. Now, I don't want you to have a sucky job you hate, uh, but I've got some advice for you if you do. First of all, if you know what you want to do and you're not doing it because you don't know how to connect all those dots, it's too far of a leap, you're scared, you got security. Well, based on your other responsibilities, family and rent, you got to balance that yourself. That's the act of life. Based on all else, what I would suggest you do is quit what you're doing and go do it, okay? If you know what you want to do and you're not doing it, as you spin all these plates and balance all else, quit what you're doing and go do it. I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers for six years. It was an amazing start in the world. I was in my 20s, but every year I hated my life more. I hated what I was doing more. I loved the firm. I loved the profession, but this was not who I was. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting for something to come along and save me. Nothing was coming. Finally, I realized at least I knew what I didn't want to do. Although I was doing it, at least I could pry myself from it and just quit. That would force the situation and put me in a situation where ultimately I would have to do something else. So that's exactly what I did. I knew that at least the part of the equation of what I didn't want could be dealt with, making room for perhaps what I did want. And while it was scary, I leapt. I had no job to land on. I ended up selling t-shirts with my brother. My mother joined us. We launched Tut Enterprises, Inc. Today's Tut.com uh, 33 years later. Of course, I'm there out. It's just me right now. We had an amazing run at uh, 10 years at tut.com, but I leapt and it freed me to figure it out. Now, if you hate what you do, like I did, and you don't know what to do, okay, that's different than the first one. You knew, if you hate what you do and you are not ready to let me make this clearer. Sorry. If you hate what you do, but it's enough hate that this is not what you're going to tolerate anymore, quit. If you hate what you do and you are totally uncertain that there's anything else out there for you, then keep doing what you're doing. Bide some time. And while you're biding that time, do it better. Keep your sucky job, but do it better. Have an amazing attitude. I know that sounds abrasive, um, but you're in the world where you can be reached. So keep doing what you're doing, but do it better. Show up a little earlier. Stay a little later. Say yes to all of the assignments. Be there with all of your heart. 
People who hate their job tend to think nobody else knows it. Everybody knows it. Nobody wants anything to do with that person who hates their job. But the person who hates their job yet decides to make the best of it and they're there with their heart and soul every day, everyone knows who that person is. And everybody wants that person on their team. So if you hate what you do, but you have no idea what else to do, and you do not feel compelled to just take that leap, as I once did with Price Waterhouse, keep doing what you're doing, but do it better. All right, then what I'm suggesting here is as you're doing it better and people see this, you will be mastering what's in front of you. And life has this amazing way of lifting you free. Everybody's going to know who you are. Everybody's going to want some of that. You've got the right attitude and a sucky job. You will be given a promotion into an entirely different realm within the same organization. Or a customer or a client's going to walk through the door and hire you away, give you an offer. I'm not saying keep doing what you're doing and learn to love it. I'm saying keep doing what you're doing, but do it better so that life will lift you free. That's the point I wanted to make. Master what's before you and you will be set free from that. But the overall biggest lesson, and this is part of my side hustle course that launches in just a week. If you're out there engaged in life, your thing will find you. When I left the corporate world and I ended up doing the t-shirt business, while that wasn't the ultimate life of my dreams, I got closer and closer every single year. Until I ended up sending out these notes from the universe and doing audio programs. So I'm not saying quit the sucky job and do nothing. If you feel you're at such a point where you've just got to quit or you're going to suffocate, then quit because you know what to do. You know what to do. That's the angle I was looking at before. This is an old teaching point I haven't visited in a long time. But if you don't know what to do, you don't know that it's time to quit. Keep doing what you're doing but do it better. John Bofello Adventurers, Mike Dooley, time for a spiritual tune-up where I bring your questions to life so that you have traction in the area of metaphysics. Metaphysics is the science before all physical sciences. It's the psychology, the philosophy of the origins of life and our power. Today's question, awesome question. When kids, partners, or curious Christians don't believe. Believe what? Believe in the woo-woo. Believe in the magic. Believe in a loving, adoring universe that would never even consider sending uh, a sinner to hell kind of thing. Um, this is something we're all faced with. And I remember my mom used to have this feeling, may she rest in peace, that, you know, somebody needs to tell them how things really are. And I want to preface my answer by sharing nobody needs to tell anybody how things are. Okay, it's not your job. It is life's opportunity to awaken everyone. And for you to kind of put the cart before the horse and think that your answers are the right answers and it's what they need, not that the questioner implied this, um, would be going way too far. Now, if the <clears throat> people in question are your children 
and you have discovered what I view as truth that sets us free and lights our hearts on fire, helps us dance life's dance, then I think it's one of your greatest responsibilities to actually share with them that they're loved, that they're adored, that they're powerful, which is the basis for all that I teach. Call it God, call it the universe, it doesn't matter. Um, but when it comes to partners, yeah, love them the way they are. If they don't want to be drinking the, the Kool-Aid, then, then let them have their own Kool-Aid. You were attracted to them before you got into the woo-woo and let, let the attraction remain without having to bring them along to your way of thinking. With Christians, the questioner particularly said, curious Christians, meaning eh, they're giving you their ear. So the rest of this answer is for the ears, the curious ears that are in your audience. Um, first, just talk about the fun stuff. Okay, you don't have to negate where other people are coming from and tell them you don't believe in hell or you don't believe in the devil kind of thing. You can go straight to the law of attraction. You can go straight to magnetizing and manifesting money, friends, clarity, health, whatever your heart desires. You can draw parallels, perhaps, to prayer and positive thinking. And then you link positive thinking to its root of power, thoughts become things. Suddenly you've got a dialogue using their lingo, uh, reinforcing their beliefs about the power of prayer. Hey, maybe it's not that God is listening and judging. Um, maybe God loves all of us. And it's when we're praying, we're creating thoughts of our desired outcome Positive thinking indisputably has a power. Where does that power come from? An invisible principle, the bedrock of reality that puts us square at the center of the creation of our lives. Thoughts become things. What if our thoughts had an electromagnetic energy? Hey, did you know that some scientists are actually proving? There's, it's actually beyond that. It's indisputable. It's known science that our thoughts have an, an electromagnetic reality and that our thoughts draw to us that which we experience. And then you look for examples in your own life, happy, positive examples. Oh, they're going to say, well, what about the bad stuff? You can say, I don't know. What, what, what does Jesus say about the bad stuff? You know, put it back on them. Just go where it's fun. Explain how it's worked in your life. A further thing that I do when I share with audiences in my Train to Trainer program who want to reach those who have not yet been reached with the truth, those who are probably still in religious or old school uh, types of uh, camps, I share that, you know, for me, I view something as truth if it passes a tiny little playful litmus test. Okay, number one. Does this idea that you're sharing with me, somebody's sharing with me, or that I might want to share with somebody else, does it either speak of our power or life's beauty? And does it leave no one out? Is it non-exclusionary? So often, religions are exclusionary. You either believe like we do and go where we go on Sundays or you go to hell. Why is there this exclusionary policy? 
I would share to those curious ears who would allow me that perhaps life is simpler than that. that there's enough love by the divine to take care and rehabilitate everyone. Wouldn't the divine be big enough to accept responsibility for her own creations. And then if she made a little person down on earth who ran amok and did naughty, terrible, evil things, wouldn't you think God would be big enough to accept responsibility and not zap that little human being that she created? Wouldn't she say, I, I made a mistake, if even there was a mistake, and I would say there wasn't, wouldn't that person be embraced and loved no matter what it took by the greatest power in the universe to be restored to a place of clarity where their behavior improved. And why do people run around amok in life? Well, invariably, as I, I constantly share, it's their own confusion. And maybe we don't come here to be perfect and think perfect thoughts. Maybe that's where we came from. Maybe we're here for the adventure of it. And in the adventure, we we temporarily believe life is happening to us. We temporarily believe we don't have power. We temporarily think we need to react to the world around us uh, and not otherwise. So that would kind of explain all those things. So back to the litmus test. Everything I share, everything I teach would fall into an idea that speaks of our power or our life's beauty our power or life's beauty. And it leaves nobody behind, whether or not they're ready, whether or not they go to church, whether or not they believe in a savior, whether everyone is powerful. And life is always beautiful when we can see clearly without the confusion and, and think that it's all happening to us. The questioner further went on to ask, Mike, could you share a little summary on God, the Bible, heaven and hell, the fall, and life in general? Maybe some words that could be used by others to approach curious ears or to introduce these concepts to children or partners, as the case may be. God. Very quick, very briefly, mustn't everything, everywhere, always every moat of dust, every mountain, every animal, every cell in your body, even the thoughts you think, mustn't it all be God? How could there be God and then not God? What would the not God stuff be made of? Oh, that was here before God. It's like, no, the, the physical universe is a creation in God's mind. So anything that happens in the physical universe is happening inside of God right now. So all of a sudden, to say good, bad, I mean, you're going to call parts of God bad? You could call parts of God um, confused temporarily, going to be rehabilitated. So everything is of the divine, by the divine, for the divine, or else where would it have come from? The Bible. You don't have to stretch on this one. Everyone knows it's common knowledge. Ask the Pope. Men wrote Gospels, a whole bunch of Gospels, way more than are in the Bible. And then years later, men came along and said, let's include this Gospel and that Gospel, and let's leave out the Gnostic Gospels because those tell people they're powerful and those hint to reincarnation. But let's put these Gospels in. And by the way, since we men in Italy are redefining Christianity that was born long ago in the Middle East, Let's translate all of that Aramaic and other 
uh, languages into Italian. And in the translation, we're going to make sure that we know and people know what God really meant when those other guys wrote the Gospels. It's like, this is not even a gray area. This is not remotely disputable. This is known fact that Gospels were picked and chosen, changed and edited to suit the leaders of the time. And this is why, number one, you see so much beauty because they're not because of the translations, but they originated with beauty and power in mind. I would go so far as to guess that the original Gospels were probably steeped in pure truth, undistorted. They were channeled works, much like some of the great channeled stuff in the world today. Just because something's channeled doesn't mean it's great. But so often we see pure beauty in the words that are channeled that are completely inclusive to all who are reading them without the limits we were talking about earlier. So we can look in the Bible and we can see traces and lots of them of just pure beauty and inclusivity and love, 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 love. But we also see bits and pieces uh, about uh, hell and a devil and angry, jealous, vengeful. The Bible says God is a jealous, angry, vengeful dude. It's like, really? Who, who could possibly think the, 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 the intelligence that created the sun, the moon, and the stars and the entire physical universe is a petty little child at times? That doesn't add up. That's uh, not inclusive. So, okay, heaven and hell, metaphors. When you live in truth, life is easy. Heaven on earth, it's awesome. You see far, you know you're never alone, you know all things are possible, you're an eternal spark of light. When you, when you are those things but don't know it, you're scared, anxiety, fear, terror, survival of the fittest, that's hell. They're metaphors. The fall, the fall as I've talked, it's in one of the very first spiritual tune-ups, I talk about Adam and Eve. It is a metaphorical story about the original sparks of God in the universe, metaphorical, who are astounded at the beauty that's everywhere to such a degree they feel that it is independent of them, signified by them actually biting into an apple, falling head over heels, um, out of grace, um, landing on their bums, and forevermore to this day still eating of the forbidden fruit, meaning looking at the world around them and thinking it is real and needs to be contended with instead of realizing the truth that we are streaming it into place 24-7. And then life in general, what would I say about life in general? That it's, a, it's an adventure into love where we came to go from um, a self-imposed amnesia because we could, because it's fun, because it's going to be so much more meaningful to get to the top of the mountain after we're lost than just staying at the top of the mountain forever. So it's an adventure into love where we kind of get to remember who we really are and what we're truly capable of when we work together, cooperation, arms locked inter in one another, marching oh we oh we oh all the way home. Jumbo fellow adventurers and happy Friday. So great to be with you here. Got an awesome question to answer. Mike, 
And this is because I'm always talking about any challenge, problem, issue in our lives is always, always, always due to confusion and misalignment with truth. So now, Mike, is illness ever just illness? Or is it always a function of confused beliefs? More specifically, is a physical ailment ever just a physical ailment rather than not being us aligned with truth? Like if you have a stuffy nose, a stubbed toe, tooth pain, or an ankle injury from soccer, is it ever just what you see at face value? Or is it always something more meaningful like you not understanding life's truths? This is such a great question because it speaks to the ultimate hook in understanding the nature of reality. And that is disconnecting our physical senses and preventing them from interpreting uh, how life is happening to us and flip it, even though it seems like life is happening to us, and realize how we nonstop 24-7 are happening to life. The truth will set you free and there will be no more aches and pains, stubbed toes or twisted ankles from soccer if you get to this place of truly transcending the hook, the trickery, the hypnosis that the illusions have on us. So I'm going to go deeper into this and I'll, and I'll confess that there is a yes and a no answer. So I, I can feel your question because it's one that I've wrestled with so many times in my life. And so often one of my conclusions is to kind of cut to the chase. It's like, look, not everything has some deep, profound meaning. Okay. Yes, we create it, but it doesn't have to confuse our minds or make us feel like we're totally lost um, uh, as we try to dissect what just happened. But first, let's go to the baseline, our existence here in these sacred jungles of time and space. We are nonstop streaming manifestors. You've heard me use this expression before. You know the expression streaming from TV or more likely the internet. You stream music, you stream videos. What's not there one second ago is suddenly there and it moves along. Um, without downloading the whole, fi the whole film, you can just see where you need uh, and you can stop it. You can pause it. So similar to how we create our reality. Right now, I'm streaming you. I'm streaming a webcam in front of me. I'm streaming lights and the outdoors and the sunshine and the, everything that's in my awareness is not being picked up by this receiver. It's being projected by this projector which simultaneously perceives what it is projecting. And the best way to get this is, again, I've shared this before, compare the dream of here and now, the dream of your waking life, to the dreams you have at night. There is no doubt in your mind that you are the creator of that dream. I'm not creating your dreams. God's not creating your dreams. Your dreams are a function of your wandering curiosity, you're resolving issues, problems, you're giving yourself shock treatment, all kinds of therapy, whether or not you remember your dreams, the work is done, as Seth uh, uh, has said in the Jane Roberts books. 
So in a nighttime dream, you don't dispute that you alone are your dream weaver. And you complete the trees and the sunshine. There's even gravity in your dreams. But when you're dreaming it, you're not thinking, okay, gravity on, all systems go. You're just there. You're streaming it as you go. You wake up, the dog barks, you're out of it, it's all gone. It's really all gone. Uh, as is the physical world when you're not paying attention to it. Somebody else's physical world is out there because they're paying attention to it. And you can clue in and get back on the grid as soon as you're ready. But it's not there if you're not there. That was a few weeks ago we talked about that in a spiritual tune-up. But in a nighttime dream, you know that you're creating it all. So if you had a cough in a nighttime dream, do you think it was really the weather in the dream or was it your manifestation? If you stubbed your toe really wicked in a nighttime dream, do you think it's because somebody forgot to push the bed back against the wall or did you manifest that on the fly? Um, every hiccup, every mote of dust, every raindrop in the nighttime dream and the dream of here and now is our own creation. No exceptions, not ever. Yes, things that we share, like the weather, we co-create. But that doesn't mean we are victims of it. We know what we're getting into when we choose time and space. We know what we're getting into when we get into our car. We know the, the likely probabilities of all that's going to play out and how it will align with our own truths and misunderstandings. And so to truly remove yourself from a world where seemingly random crap happens to anybody like catching a cold or stubbing your toe, get further into truth. The more you get to truth, the more you start opening up portals in your mind, in your psyche, the more you start activating what would otherwise be considered latent gifts and abilities to tune into the world and see things as they really are. This is the adventure we're all on as we go from the darkness to the light. It's not just logically see the truth because you can feel it right now. You and I are already there. What I'm saying is resonating with you. But at a deeper level, as you percolate with these truths and as you move with them and as you honor them and as you see yourself and claim to be the creator of all you experience, we then begin activating latent faculties in our mind, our body, uh, in the unseen and the seen that further amplifies and clarifies the truth that makes our lives easier and easier to live to the point where you suddenly have a glow about you and people are kind of having trouble looking at you because your vibration is so high to the point where suddenly you're able to know spontaneously things that you never could have known spontaneously before. This is the march to enlightenment. It is not the purpose of life. It is an offshoot. It's a possibility. What's the purpose of life is just to be here and love it and follow your heart, love and be loved. That's the purpose of life. But along the way, if you stub your toe enough and you have enough flus and bugs and diseases and cancers, you finally say, look, I know there's a better way and it begins with me. How else can I view this? Open me up. Show me the way. Let me hear your voice. Let me know what's going on. And as you move with your desire for greater truth, these elements will fall into place and there will be no more 
unhappy accidents, but still lots more joyful coincidences. Because whatever is in here is mirrored out in the world around you. And if there's a chink in the armor in here, it'll show up as a stub toe or something else in the most weird ways. Not spontaneously, but somebody will suddenly tell you you've got something going on in your life that you didn't know about and it's a reflection of what went on here. And you're like, well, God, it's not me. It's you because you told me and it's you because you saw it. Coincidence will not end, but the unpleasantries will end. Now, let me go to the other side of the coin and, and say, admittedly, yeah, in some sense, a physical ailment can be taken for face value. If and when your misunderstandings are in alignment with, yeah, well, crap happens in time and space. Oh, yeah, well, you know, that's just the lay of the land. You know, the unexpected befalls everybody. Those kind of beliefs, which are deep misunderstandings of truth, those kind of beliefs might alone bring you to stub your toe uh, when you hurry around the bedroom in the dark one night uh, on the leg of the bed. Or you might have a belief that you're vulnerable, which you're not, but that you're vulnerable and that there's germs and that if you get uh, exposed to damp, cold, rainy weather, you might catch a cold yourself. And that would be the reason you caught a cold. So yeah, I get it. It's not necessarily some profound misunderstanding that you need to unravel to rock your life. Uh, no. Sometimes the misunderstandings are very little, very innocent, very benign. You believe in catching a cold, so you caught a cold. Uh, and it's nothing other than that. It's not some, oh my gosh, you don't believe you're worthy and la, 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 la. So, so don't overplay any undesirable manifestation, any unexpected unpleasantries. Don't, don't read too much into it. But yeah. All of it comes from inside, and all of it is a reflection of what we hold to be true uh, or not, and whether or not those holdings are in alignment with the way things really are. Well, there you have it, fellow adventurer. Thanks for listening to this most recent installment of Spiritual Tune-Ups. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a few seconds to rate it on the podcast service you're using right now. It makes a big difference in helping more people find us. And of course, if you want daily reminders of life's magic and your power, please sign up at tut.com for my free notes from the universe emails. Tally ho!